Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my man? Not so much. I am excited to be here with you today. We have got a fun topic for our conversation. How are you doing? How are things in the bayou down in Houston? Oh, you know, we're about to get to the miserable summer, so I'm just trying to uh, survive and get in shape before it's all 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 sucks to go outside. But I'm excited about this topic because, you know, it's near and dear to my heart. It's one that I've talked thought about for a while, ranted on on Twitter. So let's, you know, let's let's do this thing. Before we do this thing, just a quick reminder that we are completely independent, 100% member supported. If you want to support the podcast and get all kinds of great free stuff, I guess it's not free. Technically, you're becoming a Patreon member. If you want to support the podcast on Patreon, check us out at www.patreon.com slash the growth equation. Not free. For as little as $5 a month, you can get our free guides and ebooks to training resilience, sustainable excellence, and real toughness. You can join our monthly book club, our quarterly mastermind group, our community-based chat channel, so much other good stuff. So again, head over to Patreon, check out the growth equation there. Our topic is talent acquisition. And the reason we're talking about it is because the NFL draft is just going down. And the without getting like way into the stats, we don't want to bore you. The bottom line is this. It is almost impossible to pick really good players in the draft. Just as many top picks, first round picks, don't pan out is due. The ultimate example is Tom Brady, who was drafted in the sixth round, greatest quarterback of all time maybe greatest athlete of all time, some would say, versus quarterbacks that I don't even remember their name, even though I did research for this show 30 minutes ago that were drafted in the top five picks because they were so bad that I don't even remember their name. And I just researched this 30 minutes ago. So it's really hard to identify talent. And we're going to have a conversation on talent acquisition. For those of you that are interested in it intellectually, we're going to tie it to the conventional workplace And we're going to bring it back to ourselves in a conversation about what we measure and how it's hard to measure what matters, but it doesn't mean that we should throw out measures altogether. So Steve, I want you to start this off by telling our listeners the story about hand size. And it's an old joke from Dirty Minds. I live in a neighborhood with a bunch of 10-year-old boys. They're like, you know what they say about big hands? And what I'm going to start saying is, "Uh, must mean you're going to be a great quarterback. So What's going on here? Yeah, so NFL draft. So for those who don't know, before the NFL draft, there's this thing called the combine, which is essentially you bring in all these college athletes, you put them through all these tests, you measure them, all of this stuff, and it's supposed to give teams insight on whether the player will make it or not. And one of the things that they obsess over, for quarterbacks in particular, is the size of their hands, right? You will watch pundits debate whether a quarterback can make it in the NFL based on the size of his hands. Now, there's some, you might step back and you might say, okay, well, a quarterback has to hold a football, so this matters. That's true. But let me tell you something. 
The people with small hands who couldn't hold a a football, who couldn't throw a football, did not become quarterbacks in college sports, in D1 college sports. They didn't do it. If you couldn't hold a football, you weren't going to make it. If you've held a football in college and started and were successful enough where you're being considered to be picked in the NFL, guess what? You can hold a football. And one of the uh, the quarterbacks, actually in this year's draft, who was actually ultimately drafted uh, by, Pitts, by the Pittsburgh Steelers, I believe, um, who also played at Pitt in college, pundits obsessed over his slightly smaller hands than the average quarterback, Kenny Pickett. Okay. And people are like, oh, he might not go. He might not be able to throw a football. You know, it's cold in Pittsburgh. This guy went and lived in Pittsburgh. He literally played in the city outside. Like, he can do this. But the point of this is, is simple, is there's a lot of things that we measure and obsess over. And these are high level NFL executive scouts getting paid millions to do this. Their future careers are on the line based on if they pick good players or not. And they still obsess over things that all the research, all the data tells us don't freaking matter. So why do we do this? The reason that we do this is pretty simple. Good psychological science here. When things are uncertain and out of our control, we don't like it. We do everything we can to make ourselves feel like we're in control and things are certain. So talent acquisition, really hard. Figuring out who's going to be a great NFL football player, really hard. So what do we do? We create the illusion of control by coming up with all these measures that may or may not be correlated with performance. And based on how many top picked NFL players turn out not to be good, that were picked based on their combine performance, they're not so great. And there's a lot of hilarity here too. Another example is if you watch the videos from the NFL Combine, they have the players run the 40. And for the uninitiated, a 40 is just a 40-yard dash. It's a distance that is not raced in the Olympics or World Championships in track and field, but it is the metric for football. And these really fast dudes, they can run a 40-yard dash anywhere from 4.3 seconds to 4.8 seconds. Maybe some of the slower linemen take five. Not a lot of time. Now, people obsess over the difference between a 4.340 guy and a 4.440 guy or a 4.540 guy. So we're talking one or two tenths of a second. That can swing where you get picked in the draft. Okay, maybe. Seems a little crazy, but maybe. Now get this. These times are being timed by hand. Someone clicking start on a stopwatch and off on a stopwatch. Now, if you were to time the same dude 10 times in a row, your times would vary by a couple tenths of a second because of when you see them move or you hear the gun and when you click your stopwatch. So not only is the measure itself debatable if a tenth of a second actually matters, but the fact that There is inherently human error in how we're measuring these things, yet people still obsess over the 40 time. Instead of being like, 
the dude is clearly fast and can catch or throw a football or can tackle or whatever it is. So it's a lot of artificial measures. It's kind of a spectacle, but behind the kind of absurdity of it all, I think is this broader question, which is when we're faced with uncertainty and difficult decisions, we do anything to give ourselves a sense of control, even if those things are outrageous. You know, as as a track guy, I'd be remiss if I didn't comment on the 40-yard dash because this is one of my favorite topics. So bear with me, audience. Is every year at the Combine, you see at, at these big or these big, you know, 40-yard dash pro day things, there's like 20, 30, 40 coaches all lined up in a row, in, in a row with their stopwatches. And in the world of track and field, we don't use stopwatches, or at least since, I don't know, the 1930s, because we've recognized that human error can attribute to as much as, or on average, about two-tenths of a second, um, give or take, because of the starting time and the finishing time, right? Because you have to react to the gun or the start, and you have to react to the finish. It's about two-tenths of a second. In track, we use electronic measures, literally a camera, so that you can get the exact instance. So you can be specific. That way you can compare Usain Bolt to whoever came before him or raced somewhere else around the world. In football, we often rely on hand time or what I call fake automatic time, which is like maybe a laser to start. So anyways, the measure sucks, yet we still do it. The other part is with a 40-yard dash, so much of it is in the start, which isn't necessarily part of the game. So if you're coached up, just like, you know, if you went and got SAT prep work, if you went to a good track coach, you're going to run a better 40 than some football player who doesn't, right? because of the technical analysis of it. But before I go on from this point, my favorite is a recent example, is you have a athlete named Devin Allen who played at the University of Oregon and then competed in track and field up until this year. This is his final year. He's still competing. He just won the the 110-meter hurdles at Penn Relays, one of the biggest you know uh, regular season meets in the, in the world. He is legitimately world-class, one of the best 110-meter uh, hurdlers in the world. And yet, he's transitioning over to football. He got signed by the Eagles, the Philadelphia Eagles. But at his pro day, you had, again, picture and video of like 40 NFL scouts hand-timing this dude in a 40-yard dash. You already know he's fast. He's legitimately in competition, one of the fastest men on the planet. Why would a hand time 40-yard dash matter? It doesn't. But this is, this is kind of the point here, is that we often, when we have uncertainty, we obsess over measures that make us feel good instead of actually contribute. And we do the same often in the workplace, right? It's why so many interviews have tried like different questionnaires, different, you know, personality types, etc., that try and classify people with a simple measure that has nothing often to do with the work to be done, but we grasp onto it because it gives us this false sense of certainty 
and this false sense of, hey, I'm being objective, when in reality you aren't. When in reality, the measure has nothing to do with actual performance in the workplace. All right. So I think that that's a great segue to the second thing that we said we'd addressed, which is what should you look at? Because no one's arguing that you should just put all 900 eligible players' names into a hat and then pick names out of the hat to run the draft. We do want to be informed. What data do we want to inform us? And in the NFL, it's fascinating because what the research shows is that the only thing that is predictive of future performance in the NFL is how good someone was in college. That's it. So for quarterbacks, their completion percentage, how many of the passes that they threw did they complete? For other positions, there are similar measures. Now it's still tricky because a running back with a really good offensive line, the guys that block and create space for him is going to be better than a running back with a crappy offensive line. No doubt about it. And yet we know that college stats are the best indicator of professional performance. However, they're not perfect either. So you could get a guy, and I'm just using the the pronoun guy because we're talking about football here, we're talking about men's football. You could get a guy, but this applies to gals and other sports as well. You could get a guy that is an outstanding quarterback in college with the best completion percentage. At a small school, if it's only playing against other small schools and he's 5'10 and slower than me, he's not going to make a great NFL quarterback, probably. So you can use some of these speed-like measures, how fast the velocity he can throw the ball, but you have to combine them with performance. And I think what that tells me is that the most important thing for any kind of measure is specificity. So are you good at doing the thing? that is going to be the thing that you're going to do. No one cares how well I score on an ACT test of verbal intelligence. None of my publishers want that when they bid on a book. What they want is to read my prior book. You know, I I think that's a, such a good, um, good point there. And I kind of take it back to when I was coaching college athletes is how do you handle recruiting? Well, the number one thing you look at is how they're performing in high school, right? If they're pretty good in high school, chances are they're going to be pretty good in college, maybe a little bit better, maybe not. Now, that doesn't always hold. It's not a perfect predictor, right? This is where Brad was talking about some of that soft stuff around that. Um, What you do is you try to fill in those gaps with some knowledge. So example, when you're recruiting a high school kid, Does he come from a program that is like trains a lot where his only focus is track and field or football or what have you? And he spent four years doing that and four years before on a special select program. Well, chances are that person might not have as much room to grow as the person who just came out and said, hey, I was playing soccer, baseball, whatever, football, and I ran track and I haven't trained much. Now, not always, but you kind of look for those holes on, okay, what might also contribute? But the other thing that I learned pretty quickly is that a lot of this stuff isn't like you can't predict it. The best people you think are going to make it for sure 
you're often wrong, just like in the NFL draft. So what does that mean? It tells me if I'm in that decision-making position to select talent, right? I want to do my best to select the people who I think, hey, this person's performed in the past, what have you. But I also want to give myself broad enough leeway, and this varies based on company and other things, um, to be able to catch some of those people that, you know, might be might take that next step. In athletics, this was simple. Wasn't always simple to do, but I'd try and recruit, you know, walk-ons or other people on the team that might not have quite the standards of their peers, but might have an ability to grow, right? And and I think that's what it often comes down to is the second part is give people a chance, right? Give people a chance to perform and see if they have what it takes or if they don't. Because like so often we hold each other back when we label people, do this in the NFL. Oh, you were a first round draft pick. I'm going to give you tons of chances. Oh, you're a seventh round draft pick or we signed you off the, you know, off the waiver wire. Uh, you can show up to practice, but you're probably not going to start, which often happens. You got to give people the chance to show what they have or to perform to see if they can do it. Don't let a preconceived notion or a, a label hold them back if you know they might have the chance to grow. Like maybe to stick with NFL, someone like Kurt Warner who went from you know, working at a grocery store to a Hall of Fame and a Super Bowl winning uh, player. All right. So I think we're we're coming up with a nice little framework here, which is something that we like to do in this podcast is take these fun intellectual conversations and make them practical. So for talent identification, I think what we're coming down with is this, Steve. Prior performance in the thing itself is the most important indicator. If the environment is drastically changing, if you're going from being good on the freshman team to playing in the NFL, it doesn't mean you'll be good in the NFL. Then secondary measures that relate to the thing are really helpful. How fast you are, how big you are, how fast you throw, so on and so forth. And then the third thing to look at is what's in between the ears. Someone's mindset, someone's motivation, someone's willingness to learn someone's drive to get better, someone's cultural fit on a team. And then the fourth thing is to not have what researchers call the sunk cost fallacy. So just because you drafted someone in the first round doesn't mean that that person should get so many more chances than the person you drafted in the sixth round, because maybe the person in the sixth round is going to end up being the better fit. So it's four steps. Specificity. If the environment is drastically different, other related measures. Don't forget about the mental side of the game. And then don't get blinded by a label or a ranking and therefore not give other people a chance. So that's if you are running a football team or a law firm or a physician practice. How do we think about this in relationship to ourselves and how we measure ourselves and where we, hold, where we either hold ourselves back or we delusionally think we can be better than we are? Yeah. So one point I want to make to yeah, kind of tie ahead. up that, that first point is we often miss the people who know what it takes, which means 
the people who are playing the game, the teachers who are teaching first grade, second grade, whatever, they know what it takes to be good at that job. The further we get away from that, even if you had experience of that prior, you lose a little of that disconnect in today's modern society. But those people are the ones doing the hiring. So I think it always comes back to like, what does it take today in this moment to do this job? And having conversations with people who actually do the work and coming to the psychological side, that's also where you find out these, these characteristics that, that Brad talked about, that drive, that motivation, that like ability to be a teamwork. It doesn't come from some questionnaire. It comes from getting to know the people who are in the arena with that person who do that, who who's doing that job. Right. So, okay, let's move on from, okay. Team, etc., And go towards how do we hold ourselves account accountable? What do we look at? And I think to me as a, you know, as a writer, I always start with, okay, what am I trying to accomplish? Why am I writing these books? And what keeps me in the arena? Like, and the ability to keep doing that thing. So in my own talent, it's like, well, what's the purpose of the books that I write? It's to pass on information. It's to teach others. It's to spread or help create the world that I think that I want to. So are my books reflecting that? If they are, check the box. Good stuff. But the flip side of that is, in order to keep doing that, I have to sell a certain number of books. I have to keep publishers interested. I have to perform at a high enough level so that they keep wanting to produce those books. So while there's no quite objective number on that, you know, you and I have had many conversations on like, well, what does that look like? What keeps us having this ability? And then trying to meet that bare minimum and then if we exceed it, fantastic, great, but being content on like that bare minimum of keeping us in the game, keeping us on the quote unquote roster to do the work again. Yeah, I think that that is a, such a wonderful summary and a way to take this global concept that's applied to teams and organizations and, and to apply it to ourselves. Uh, I think that the other thing here that's really important is just to unpack specificity a little bit. So there are some studies that show really high-powered ones in journals with big impact factors uh, like Nature that the amount of domain non-specific things that you do before you specialize ultimately helps you specialize. So specificity is really important, but you don't want to get too specific too early. All right. I just said a whole bunch of science mumbo jumbo. What does it actually mean? If you want to be great at basketball, it serves you really well to play a bunch of sports growing up and then maybe specialize as like a senior in high school, probably not even till college. Now, what these researchers found is that the same thing holds true for other pursuits. So if you want to be a great writer, you probably shouldn't start trying to write a novel or a nonfiction book at age 16. You should probably write comics. You should write screenplays. You should write newspaper articles. 
You develop this broad base that is related to the thing you want to do, but not the thing itself. So again, back to sports, the high school basketball player that's not specializing, he's not necessarily in high school playing the cello and leading the school musical, but he's running track and field, he's playing football. So they're still sports, they're very much related to the thing, but they're not over-specific. So when we talk about this as individuals, I want to just be really explicit that the trap here is saying, oh, I want to be a writer. Oh, I want to be a good manager. So therefore, all I'll do is read management books, go to management lectures, think about what a good manager should do. And the science is that's actually not the best path to be a good manager. You want to go broad before you go narrow. Um, In particular, I I wrote about this a little bit in the Groundedness book. It's something that we've covered on our our newsletter before. Um, People tend to have hot streaks when they're on fire in their careers after a period where there was less observable progress and where they had broader range, as our friend Dave Epstein would say, where they were doing more things. So individually, again, think of not getting super specific until it's really time to lay the hammer down, but doing things that are close enough. And through those things that are close enough, you can start to gauge, hey, this is what I'm going to be really good at when it's time to be super specific. If you are much better at writing screenplays and short stories than you are at writing essays and opinion pieces, yeah, you'll probably be a better fiction writer than nonfiction writer. But it's good to have all these experiences to help you hone in. Yeah, I think that's such a a, a great point there, Brad. The one maybe last thing that I'd add on to that is that all of these ideas are essentially principles that that hold up most of the time, right? Every once in a while, sometimes there's going to be, and maybe more than once in a while, there's going to be someone who breaks all these rules, who specializes early and blah, 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 and becomes world-class and world-famous and all that good stuff and maximizes their potential. That's okay. That's where I think we often get things wrong in this talent ID, talent acquisition, is we're looking for the formula but it's so freaking complex that yes, there's these ideas on an individual and a zoomed out group level that give us some, some heuristics, but they're just that. They're just rules of thumb so that some have more validity than other. And to me, it really comes back to like, it's almost like humility to understand how complex talent is and how difficult it is to understand, predict, even cultivate in a great way. That doesn't mean that we should give up trying. It just means come in with that humility. Because if you come in with that humility, you're able to learn and grow when you get it, get it wrong or move on or give someone a, a shot who maybe doesn't fit the uh, characteristics of your perceived notion of what it means to be talented or driven or what have you. And to illustrate the difficulty of this, I'm going to come back to the NFL draft. I just want you to think about this for a minute. In the workplace and office space, what do we get for talent identifications? Well, we get to interview someone maybe multiple times. Sometimes we can ask them to, you know, give a presentation or take us through a pitch or tell us, you know, give us an example or show us how they teach something, right? We can simulate it. We can talk to other people. We can talk to their coworkers. We might put them through some tests or whatever have you. But that's about it. 
in the NFL, these coaches, these agents, these, you know, scouts, they literally get to watch someone do their do the same kind of job that they're be auditioning for on tape for the past two, three, four years. Right? They get to watch them do their job. And they still mess it up. It's still really difficult. So what does that tell me in the workspace? It means, yes, try to do your best. Try to figure this out. Try to hire good people. But understand that it's really freaking difficult. And that's okay. Love it. I think that's a really good place to end. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, but do what you can to get the bathwater out. And there's always going to be some in there. Um, there's a... Uh, you know, what was it? I'm trying to think of the player that the Lions drafted. I grew up in Detroit watching football. Again, I can't think of any of their names because they were all so terrible. And we always have the first round first pick because we're terrible and we can never get it right. So don't be like the Lions. Um, but in all seriousness, hopefully this found it useful. We started at the NFL. We got broader as we tend to do. We talked about trying to measure what matters. We talked about the importance of specificity. We talked about how if... The specificity comes in an environment that's very different than the new one. That's when other measures can help. We talked about not over-relying on the physical and also the importance of the psychological. Obviously, in sport, in non-sport, the psychological is even more important. And then we talked about applying this to your own life and how, yeah, you want to try to predict what you'll be good at from what you've done in the past, but you also want to sample a bunch of related things to give you the best data set. So, that's what we got. This is the Growth Equation Podcast. We appreciate you turning in. If you like the show, please rate, review on Apple, on Spotify, on Stitcher, and God knows where else y'all get your podcasts these days. And check us out on Patreon. We are at www.patreon.com backslash the growth equation. And we'll see y'all next week. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation Podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.